Hello listeners, welcome to another episode of our Blimey Cast. This is the episode number 15 and in this one we are going to have another reading to speak practice. In this type of practice what I do is to read something with you so you can augment, improve, strengthen your vocabulary for when you're going to take the IELTS test. Right? You will hear some gaps, some intervals during the reading activity, but that is something that you can just find out if you are watching the video. Because what I'm doing is I'm marking words on my Kindle device whilst reading in order to talk about them at the end of the video. Okay? So please, just don't mind those gaps. You know what they are now. Okay, so without further ado, let's get started. You're listening to Blimey Cast. For more information, check my Instagram profile, Blimey English. Hey, hello again, and welcome back to Blimey English. Today, we are going to do another reading to speak practice. This is a series of videos in which I read some bits of a book for you so you can be able to improve your speaking skills because one of the pillars of it, one of the pillars of speaking, of a great ability in speaking is to have a nice vocabulary, right? And in order to improve your vocabulary and augment it, we need to read. And that's what we are going to do today, right? So I've chosen uh, another book this time, and I'm going to use a book using my Kindle device. So it's good for you if you have one of them, and if you want to practice your reading skill using your Kindle, right? The one I've chosen is this one here from, um, I think he's Australian. Uh, his name is Josh Radwell and the name of the book is The Little Door. This one was very, very nice. It was a gripping story and I'm not sure yet if I'm going to read it to read everything with you, or if I'm just going to read some bits of it to give you the taste, the glimpse of it, right? So anyway, um, you got the chance to see and to understand how reading to speak should be, right? Because what I'm going to do is I'm going to read with you, and then you will see that I will go marking words that I find will be interesting for you and then after reading I will come back and check the words meanings with you shall we let's get started let's open it yes the little door a horror novella by Josh Rado so just before we start a novella would be a short novel right it's a story that is a bit shorter than a novel okay Alright, let's start with your Kindle. You can just touch the top of your screen and choose this. Go to, and then we've got here, the little door. Alright, let's start. I will read it through with you, and then when I spot some words or some expression that I find interesting for you, or that I find might be interesting for you, 
I will mark it so you can check the meaning later on. All right, let's go. The little door. The problem with narrating this story in the past tense is that you, reader, we're not so close to there just yet, but maybe, maybe. We'll have already worked out, because you're smart, I know it, that I do not die at the end of this recount. And if I had to guess, I'd say you are a little bummed out. A little bummed out about that, because you want something with a little... <clears throat> something with a little melodrama and bleakness. You want a story, if I had to guess, that starts out slow yet feverish. Like tar melting across the road on a blistering summer afternoon and escalates and escalates until it becomes like an avalanche of snow roaring towards you at high speed but you're frozen because your boots have sunk into the soft white and there's nowhere else to go but watch and wait as your heart beats wildly as the snow comes closer and it's about to swallow you up in its cold embrace because that is the end right there, an avalanche and a death. That's the story, that's the ending that you, reader, want, am I right? Was my metaphor for being so absorbed in a novel that you have to turn the page, turn the page and read faster and faster? Was it clear to you? See, sometimes when I'm telling stories, I'm never sure if the metaphor quite hits, if the words you read carry the same tone and emotion and voice as how they sound when I'm sitting here behind the laptop, click-clacking at the keyboard trying my best to get my words onto the page. It's a hard business, writing. So, look, I'm sorry that this isn't going to be the story you want, but I can make a few promises. Thinly veiled on my part, Thingly veiled on my part, sure, because how am I supposed to know what does and doesn't give you a good scare? How am I supposed to know that everything I'm about to tell you, all the action, because there is action, and all the blistering summer afternoons and melting tar and thick snow and avalanches, they do happen. How do I know it's going to be enough to make you squirm? Gasp, cry, and hide under the covers. I can't know, and that's the problem. I just have to write it down. I gotta recount it. I need to warn you. Also, you will please excuse my lack of chapter titles. This is, after all, a recount. It's me telling you a story, my story, and while that might technically have chapters, in that, there are ways I could divide this, make this logical. I will find it easier when writing to just write, to just let it out. There's a lot to say, and no time to waste with chapter titles. My apologies. It's also a pain trying to figure out what to call each chapter, and I'm not big on numbering.
I'm sure you will understand, reader, and I'm sure you'll be able to forgive me. I promise to keep things organized as best I can, to keep things concise as much as possible, but to go into detail where necessary. This is the best way to do it, I think. I don't know how much I have to say. Will you stick with me till the end? Listen, put a kettle on, brew some tea or coffee or just milk or apple juice, whatever, and come sit with me. Sit and pretend that I'm next to you, whispering into your ear. God knows things have whispered into my ear. You'll get used to it, provided it doesn't drive you mad first. And now that you already know that I'm in fact alive and well, or rather alive, I think it's best I let you in on a little secret. I started our little talk with a lie, sort of. I do die in this recount, but that's not my the end. My name is Henry. I will begin at the beginning. That's just the pipes, said the real estate agent. The pipes, settling, sounding more like a deep, guttural. Guttural snarl. Something like a ritualistic chant. I'd seen a dozen houses by then, each one imperfect in some way. Windows that wouldn't open, mice holes in the walls, shingling falling from the roof. But this one, the house on Cheshire Street, with its perfect grey shingling and solid oak door and arched windows on the second floor and an open plan kitchen living room was perfect. Near perfect, except for this sound in the pipes. That sound, primal almost, like something from deep in the belly of a beast, rattling and moaning and sobbing, and it's just the pipes, I can assure you. That first night, it was silent, until I heard the bells. That was one of the key selling points of the property, its isolation. The nearest neighbour was a good ten-minute walk down the road, not entirely isolated, but not the suburban clusterfuck I used to live in, where every house was practically pressed together, so much that you could hear your neighbour taking a dump. People liked the isolation, the quiet of the rolling green hills in the distance, the clear skies, the trees, tall, sleeping giants that separated each house and obscured the views. The backyard was woodland, old oaks and pines and the likes, dense and cold and dark, unpleasant enough during the day, no doubt impossible to navigate at night. The house was not old, as far as old houses go, but it was withered and aged and looked in comparison to the newer or rather recently renovated houses on the Cheshire Street to be almost decrepit. There was a pale letterbox on a crooked angle, 
marking the beginning of a loose gravel driveway that slithered from the main road, the only road in any direction, and was surrounded by green grass that bled into rough and dry brown earth. The roof was somewhat worn, its slates, once black had turned grey-white from years of exposure, the exterior was chipped cream paint. The bricks crumbled underneath, and the porch creaked underfoot. But the air was fresh here, and that was far better than the smoggy. Ash and soot smell of the city. I pulled open the curtains and opened the window to let in the breeze. The house wasn't close to the ocean, so I had no idea where the breeze was coming from, but it was cool and clean and smelt of pine needles and grass and something sweet I could not place. A flower of some kind. And there was no sound, no birds or no whistling of the wind. No rustling in the trees across the way, no car engines humming in the distance. Complete silence. The rest of the inheritance from Dad's state was enough to pay for the place in its entirety. Far away from the city, in a state I'd hardly given any second thought about, it was isolated and quiet and on the market for almost 25 years. So the real estate agent was desperate to have someone move in right away. And for an absolute steal. Way below my budget. Really. It should have been criminal, the asking price of property, because surely I stole any profit they hoped to make. Three bedrooms, two bathrooms, one upstairs, one down with an attic on the third floor and kitchen, a study, a living room, a formal dining room. For the minute, there was enough to keep me going for a while. She was eager She was eager to have me sign the papers right away, and the minute the pen touched the paper, the ink scrolling my name, she informed me that it was a pleasure doing business, we wish you well, and we cannot represent this property again if you wanted to vacate in some years. Please do not contact us. Then she was up. Didn't even take a sip of her coffee. And she was out. Keys are ready in my hand. The door swung shut behind her. I watched as she ran with a brisk pace to her car. Slammed the door and drove off and drove off without even looking back. She was desperate to get out of the house, away from it. Who could blame her? The damned thing had caused them for almost 25 years. She was a pretty woman with hair so platinum it almost looked silver in the light. Her name was Wendy. She didn't tell me her last name. I didn't care enough to ask. She spoke little. Her longest sentence was telling me that the house was old, very old, and that it used to be owned by the church.
I asked her what a church would use the place for, and she turned away to pull open the curtains in the living room, shrugging off my question with, oh, just church business. Where's the church? I'd asked her. She turned to face me, her smile forced. She chuckled. She chuckled. Well, <laughs> it's just down the road, not far. Great, I said. Great, I thought. Door knockers. Yay, Sunday morning disturbances. They're quite a group, she admitted. That's good to know. And so, that first night, as the sun was setting behind the woods, I sat in the orange-pink light in the living room, and I waited until it was dark enough for the birds to sleep and the critters to slumber before I got up and, for whatever reason, decided to start unpacking the few things I'd brought with me in the car. The first night in the house, I heard the church. The ringing of the bells, a chime that carried across the way from wherever it had come, carried on the evening winds, and slipped into the living room window. It was to that sound that I found the little door. It's about half the size of a regular door, about as wide, and looked old, as if it had been there even before the house, if such thing were possible. I put my hand on the door and felt it rough. Rough and old wood that hadn't been painted, perhaps ever. It wasn't on any of the blueprints the real estate agent handed over when she handed over the keys. Must not have ever existed. This door at the very end of the hallway was hidden behind a small, thin console table that had been pushed up against the wall. This console table, this entrance table, had come with the house, as had most of the furniture, including the sofa and the bed frame. And an old clock, the curtains that below the wing too, the forks, the knives. On the blueprints, there were no unmarked crawl spaces. No places or rooms this door could have led to. It was fixed, impossibly, against a wall that, had the door been able to open, would have led to the west outer wall of the house, to the garden. Except, standing outside, the bricks, red as cherries on a mother's pie, it was easy enough to see that the walls were actually thick. But that was impossible. Walls are never thicker than double bricked. So, that meant that the blueprints were wrong. There was a room behind that door. The church bells continued to ring that night from wherever they came, as I stood staring at the door that should not exist in a house as lonely as the hills on which it was built. Lonely and impossible. It was too late in the night to call the real estate agent and ask if she knew anything about the door. Instead, I knelt and ran my fingers along the wood of it, along the perimeter, and tried my best to fire the keyhole. But there wasn't one. The door knob 
the doorknob was small. You couldn't comfortably clasp it with your whole hand. Instead, you had to use your thumb and forefinger to pinch at it. I tried twisting the doorknob, but it wouldn't budge. Nor would it budge when tugging at the door to open. I wasn't about to rip it off the wall, though the hinges might well have given out if I tried. <clears throat> it was so strange seeing it there. No adult could possibly fit through it, that was for sure. A child, perhaps, but even then, I was doubtful. A child would even want to go through such a small space. And where would it lead? So instead, I turned my back on the door and chose to focus on a box labelled kitchen. Well into the night, I unpacked that first night, putting cups and cupboard and old jars of spices on the rag and chemicals under the sink. It was mindless too. My mind went elsewhere, wandering most likely, but it left my ears turned into nothing at all. And so, when I heard the pipes, that's just the pipes, deep, guttural snarl, ritualistic chant, rattling away above me, I was snapped out of my daze and took notice of the clock above the refrigerator, leaning against the wall. The hands moved slowly, the second hand ticking away. It was well past midnight. I'd unpacked all the kitchen boxes. There was nothing to do but crush the cardboard and throw it into the recycling. But I took one look at the frost on the window. How the hell, in October, I've no answer. Strange, this climate change. I decided against stepping outside. With nothing else to do on that first night, and no immediate desires, I poured myself a glass of water I poured myself a glass of water, reader, and walked on up to the bedroom, passing the door on my way. It was silent in the house, no wind outside to seep in through the cracks of the windows, no thunder, no rain, no pitter-patter of little mice feet. It was silent. Though I could have sworn I heard, resting in bed, a small and quiet knock. When I was a boy, I used to dream about owning a house. I'd draw pictures, always out of scale, since I was usually about as tall as the damned house, with me in one corner and the house in the other. The house would be red, the roof would be green, the sky would be blue above it. There would be grass and a pond. And a pond in which fish swam, and when I was feeling particularly hopeful, because even then, when I was four, five, six, seven years old, and on and on, I was told that I wasn't responsible enough. 
I'd draw a dog sitting beside me. I'd always wanted a dog. It was Dad who told me no. Dad who told me, you're not responsible enough. That was always his excuse, but never did he offer any kind of proof, any evidence. And for a lawyer, such bold claims... needed to be backed with proof. So maybe he wasn't that great a lawyer. Then again, a good lawyer that blurts out any random accusation with enough charisma immediately wins the favor of the jury. And in, it, and, and in this case, the jury was my mom and she would always agree. Dad didn't like dogs. He preferred cats. Mom and I, we hated cats. And even when I asked her in secret, when dad was off at the firm or on some plane to some city that needed a lawyer because he was able to practice in several cities, if we could please mom, can we have a dog? She wouldn't always answer with a sad smile and tell me no, your father wouldn't like it. When dad died, I tried to make a joke. That was a poor choice, and asked mum if we could get a dog now. I tried with a smile, but the smile didn't help. She told me I should go. She needed time alone. That was always the way with these things. The widow needed to be alone. So I obliged, reader, because of course I did. I loved my mum. I respected her. And if she needed to be alone... Then so be it. I wouldn't deny her that, after she'd already been denied so much. That night, twelve weeks before I moved into the house on Cheshire Street, I received a call. It was the neighbor, mum's neighbor, Mrs. Gilbert, calling me frantic. She sounded in tears. I had to ask her what was wrong. I had to calm her down. Mom, she'd been drinking. A bottle of wine and then the scotch that kept in the cabinet in the living room. And then something she'd found behind that bottle. Some type of alcohol from some country, some place with a name I couldn't pronounce. And she'd gotten very drunk. She must have slipped or tripped or something because she fell right into the pool. And in her drunken stupor, she wasn't able to coordinate right arm with left arm with legs. And so when her lungs gave out at the bottom of the pool, she surfaced with her face down and her clothes soaping wet and was noticed by Mrs. Gilbert from her bedroom window that overlooked Mum's backyard that it was... Mrs. Gilbert, who screamed and called for her sons, and they had to hook Mum's arm into the cleaning net to drag her to the edge so that they could heave her cold, blue body up and out of the water and onto the pavement and try their best to get into the lungs. But it was too late, reader, because she'd been dead some ten minutes before poor Poor old Mrs. Gilbert noticed from her bedroom window. So no, Henry, 
We can't get a dog because dad is dead and I will be dead soon too. And you're not responsible enough for a dog. So says the lawyer. So agrees the jury. And if that was the last thing you asked, Henry, well, how on earth could I bring myself, Frida, to adopt a companion for my new home if every time I looked into its face, I could only see snow white and water blue? When I woke, I pulled open the windows and took in the isolation. I decided to run a bath, a warm one, to loosen the muscles and soothe the back. Have you ever looked out at the trees, reader? Really looked? Take a minute, I reckon you should, to just look out the window and look across, and to see the trees, the way they grow, the patterns that emerge in something that is seemingly without patterns. Do you have trees, reader? Perhaps you have only sky. I used to imagine what it would be like to live in a house in the middle of nowhere, up on a hill, and if I looked out the window, there would be trees below me, and only trees for as far as I could see, so far that the trees became the horizon, and the horizon was the sky. It would be just me. Sitting here now, thinking about what next to tell you, I'm in a cramped little apartment that barely has any that barely has any room for me to move around. The kitchen is narrow and it presses up against the dining table, which presses up against the window, and there's no room for a sofa or a TV. So instead, there is an even smaller bed. It's a one room. The walls are barren. There's no bath here. But that morning, in the house, I chose to run a bath. The water came out hot, steaming. It hit the bottom of the tub with a hiss, and the steam began to fog up the mirror before I even had a chance to push open the bathroom window. It took me a minute to adjust the taps, but the pipes kept on humming, churning. I pressed my ears to the wall as the bath filled. And I listened to the pipes, and I listened to where the water was going. And as I listened, as I listened through the sound of the rushing water and the rattling pipes, I heard the same sound that I heard when the real estate agent, when Wendy, showed me the house the first time. Somewhere in the walls, somewhere through the pipes, whenever they lead, I heard that deep, guttural growling sound, like an empty belly roiling away the acid and bile, and it sounded for a moment like something in the walls was begging to be fed. Whoa, that last phrase, something in the walls was begging to be fed. That was spooky, and that's what we like. So here's the thing. I would just read this part of the book today, right? Because we cannot read everything in one go here. We've got time to follow here. We've got a schedule to follow. And what we're going to do is the next part of the book will be 
seeing in the next videos right the videos to come but now what i'm going to do with you is we're just going to see some of the words did you notice the words i was marking during the reading activity so that's it that's the thing we're going to see right now let's start with this first expression here bummed out bummed out remember the phrase the phrase back in the book was i'd say you're a little bummed out about that so bummed out is just another word for disappointed it's just an expression for disappointed the next one was this feverish feverish remember the phrase a story that starts out slow yet feverish feverish in this context means active right a story that starts slow but still active right that's the meaning of it the next one thinly veiled thinly veiled that means remember the phrase back in the book i can make a few promises thinly veiled on my part so this means lightly covered somehow covered like not entirely guaranteed it's not a guarantee an entire guarantee but some parts right lightly covered let's go see the next one squirm squirm can you remember the phrase i will help you the phrase was it's going to be enough to make you squirm gasp cry so here's the thing squirm means to move in an awkward way because of nervousness embarrassment or pain let's say that i'm here reading for the very first time let's see and then i feel scared right i feel spooked i feel uh cold down my spine a shiver down my spine and i could squirm like this see moving awkwardly so th that was a phrase i'm going it's going to be enough to make you squirm gasp or cry gasp is to take a short quick breath through the mouth especially because of surprise like this <gasps> see that is to gasp let's go see the next one to be big on something remember this the phrase he said i'm not big on numbering so if you are big on something that means that you like that thing very much but usually we apply this expression in the negative form say i'm not big on something he's not big on something and indeed that was the case the author said i'm not big on numbering that means attributing number to things right let's go see the next one good to roll good to roll this means produced at the back of the throat and therefore deep and because of that deep remember the phrase the phrase was sounding like a deep guttural snarl so it's that type of sound that seems to be produced at the back of the throat like <clears throat> something guttural right and a snarl just to complement this here it's now is a deep and rough sound right um, it's produced by animals when showing the teeth right like <sighs> that would be a snow okay uh, let's go see the next one to take or to have a dump right to take or to have a dump well this one is a bit um, 
how can I say, it's not offensive, but it's impolite. That's the thing. So to take or to have a dump means to pass the content of your bowels out of the body, right? The excrement of your intestines out, right? Remember the phrase, the phrase was, you could hear a neighbor taking a dump. That's it. The next word was decrepit. Decrepit. This means in very bad condition because of being old or not having been cared of. So the phrase back in the book was, he was talking about the houses. The houses, and there he said, to be almost decrepit, meaning in very bad condition, right? Then we've got the next one, crooked. Crooked. Crooked means bent or twisted out of shape. So he was talking about the letterbox, right? On a crooked angle. Just to explain for you, let's say that my Kindle here is a, a painting, right? And I put it on the wall like this. If it is crooked, it will be like this, right? It will be just like that, out of shape or twisted, right? So let's see the next one, chipped, chipped. The phrase was the exterior of the house was chipped cream paint. Chipped means with small pieces broken off. So you imagine the paint of the wall chipped, right? Full of small pieces dried and broken off. Then we've got the next one, smoggy, smoggy. Remember the phrase, better than the smoggy smell of the city. So smoggy is something related or affected by smog. Do you know what smog is? Smog is the conjunction of smoke and fog, right? That's it. Then we've got the next one, humming, humming. Humming is something producing a hum, a continuous and low sound. The phrase was, no car engines humming in the distance. So if you imagine, if you live in downtown, for example, you can clearly see, you can clearly notice this, that sound that you can, you can notice, you can hear in the distance of cars and trucks, lorries, they're making that sound. You could, oh, that's the sound of cars, the traffic, see, hum. Then we've come to the next one, eager, eager. Eager means wanting very much to do or to have something. The phrase back of the book was, she was eager to have me sign the papers. It means she was anxious to make him sign the papers, right? If you are eager, you are anxious, you want to do something or you want to have something, right? Then we've got the next one, sip. Sip. So a sip or to sip means to drink, taking very small amounts at a time. So a sip, I've got no cup here. No, where is my cup of tea, my cup of coffee? What is happening here? But the thing is, to have a sip means to have just small amounts at a time, right? And in fact, the phrase back in the book was, she didn't even take a sip of her coffee. See? Then we come to the next one, brisk, brisk. So this means 
quick, energetic, and active. The phrase was, I watched as she ran with a brisk pace. Pace is the speed at which someone moves, right? So, I watched as she ran with a brisk pace. She was walking quickly, energetically, right? Then, we've come to the next one, chuckle. Chuckle. This means to laugh quietly. If you chuckle, you laugh to yourself. Like, <laughs> that's a chuckle, right? If you remember the phrase back in the book, it was, she chuckled. <laughs> well, it's just down the road. See that? <laughs> that's a chuckle, right? The next word, rough. Rough. A surface that doesn't feel smooth when you touch it. So, imagine my Kindle device here has a cover. I don't know if you can notice. So, it's got a texture, right? So, this is a bit rough, right? It's not smooth. It's smooth, on the other hand, would be like this, the cover of my book here. When you touch it, it's smooth, right? But if you touch something rough, you can even hear. See? Okay, let's go to the next one. Oh, I'm sorry. What am I doing here? The phrase back in the book was, I put my hand on the door and felt it rough. So the door had a rough texture, right? Okay, now we can go see the next one. Blueprints. Blueprints. This means a photographic copy of an early plan or design for a building, right? So back in the book, the phrase was, it wasn't on any of the blueprints. So the door wasn't on any of the blueprints. So the, the, the early plans of a building, right? Of the house in that context. You can go see the next one. Doorknob. Doorknob. So this is a round handle that you turn to open a door, right? The doorknob. And in the book, the phrase was... The doorknob was small. The doorknob was small. Then it's linked to the next one, which is pinch. Pinch. To pinch is to press something using two things, usually your fingers. So if you pinch someone, you do this, right? So he said, the that was the phrase back in the book, you had to use your thumb and forefinger, which also called the index finger, you need to use your thumb and forefinger to pinch at it. So now imagine the doorknob that small that you needed to pinch at it, right? Then we can see the next one, budge, budge. Budge means to move, right? If something will not budge or can't budge, it would not move, right? The, the phrase back in the book was, I tried twisting the doorknob, but it wouldn't budge. So the door wouldn't budge, wouldn't move. That's the thing. Okay, let's go see the next one. Hinge. Hinge. So a hinge is a piece of metal that fastens the edge of a door, window, lid, etc. to something else and allows it to open or to close. So if you got the door, you have the hinges, 
right? The hinges would be that piece of metal that works like this. One side of it is attached to the door, another side of it is attached to the wall. So you can open the door or close it, right? Then the phrase back the book was, though the hinges might well have given out if I tried. If something gives out, like a machine or a device gives out, it stops working, right? Back in the book, he meant, if he tried, the hinges might well have given out. That's it. Might even, might well have stopped working, right? Then we've got the next one, pull. Pull, to make a substance flow from a container, especially into another container, by raising just one side of the container that the substance is in. In other words, you just putting a liquid into another container. Let's say that I had a cup here or a mug, which in fact is mysteriously missing here. But if I had one here, let's have an imaginary cup here. And I, I would pour water into my cup, right? That's the thing. And back in the book, the phrase was, I poured myself a glass of water. Then we come to the next one, pond. Pond. A pond is an area of water smaller than a lake, often artificially made. Right? That uh, back in the book, the phrase was there would be grass and a pond. Okay, I think I don't need to explain that one that much. I think you caught it. Okay, the next one. Bold, bold. Bold means not frightened of something, not shy, audacious. Back in the book, the phrase was, such bold claims needed to be backed with proof. If you back something with proof, you support that thing with proof, right? So bold, not frightened of something, not shy. You are audacious, right? The next one, frantic, frantic. So frantic means almost out of control because of extreme emotion. Remember the phrase? It was like this. It was the neighbor, frantic. She sounded in tears. So you can have an idea now, right, of what it means. The next one, stupor, stupor. Stupor is a state in which a person is almost unconscious and their thoughts are not clear. Back in the book, the phrase was, and in her drunken stupor, she was unable to coordinate right arm with left arm. See? She was almost out of herself. Then we have the next one. Cramped. Cramped. Cramped means not having enough space or time. And in the book, the phrase was, I'm in a cramped little apartment. That's it. Another one, barren, barren. So barren means empty of meaning and value, lifeless. Or another meaning is not able to produce something. Right? Barren lands, a land that is not able, capable to produce something, right? But back in the book, the phrase was, it's a one room apartment, the walls are barren meaning the walls are empty of 
meaning and value, right? That's the thing. Then we've got the next and last one, steaming. Steaming. Steaming is something producing steam, which is the hot gas produced when water boils, right? And back in the book, the phrase was, the water came out hot, steaming, right? You know, when you are having or preparing uh, a bath, you just prepare your tub or your shower and let the water run, right? If the water is hot, then uh, if the door is closed and also the windows, it's likely to steam inside there, right? Okay, okay, we made it. Our another reading to speak practice, this time reading a book. And if you liked it, just tell me because I want to know if you are into horror and mystery books too. So I see you in the next videos. Cheers! Thanks for listening. For more content, check my Instagram profile, Blimey.